Well, snag your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Luke chapter 12. We're in a new chapter. Yay! Luke chapter 12. Maybe. There we go. There she blows. Luke chapter 12. We're going to be in 1 through 12. It says this, Meanwhile, a crowd of many thousands came together, so that they were trampling on one another. He began to say to his disciples, First, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's nothing covered that won't be uncovered, nothing hidden that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in an ear in private rooms will be proclaimed on the, on the housetops. I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who can kill the body and after they can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? Not even, not, yet not a one, one of them is forgotten in God's sight. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. And I say to you, anyone who acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will acknowledge before him, him before the angels of God. But whoever denies me before others will be denied by, before the angels of God. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers of, and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Lord Jesus, we pray right now in this moment that you would speak through your word. God, you would open up our eyes and open up our ears to hear what you would have to say to us, your church, that we may follow, that we may, we may uh, follow after you, Lord, and, and have faith, God, in you, to pledge our full allegiance into you, Lord Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit, Lord, be so um, just apparent, God. May your Holy Spirit be heard and experienced right now in this moment. Open up our eyes, open up our ears to hear what you would have to say. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may have a seat. <coughs> I'm entitled my sermon here this morning, Stay Faithful to Jesus. Let a light bulb go on in, in your heart, in your spirit here this morning. That's my, my hope and my prayer for you this morning. Did you know that you can make a lot of money on social media. You can actually make money on social media. There are, there's a word that we have these days called influencer. I want to be an influencer on Instagram. I want to be an influencer on TikTok. Or an influencer. Well, what does that mean? Well, people see my stuff and they like it. Or they just see it. It appears before their, their feed or scrolling through Reels that are so addictive. I'm one of those. Emily's <laughs> not. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, there. It's so funny. Even this week, you should pick up on this idea, Ben. Uh, I was going to speak to the camera, but hey, you're here. <laughs> uh, there's a truck. There's a, an, a big 18-wheeler 
that had on its little wind flaps on the bottom, it had YouTube, truckin', truckin' with Al. He had a YouTube channel. He would record himself as he was driving. I don't know how legal that is, but he would record himself and talking to the camera, just talking talk about his thoughts about trucking and experiences. And he's got like 1,600 followers. Can make make one? <laughs> but you know, like, it's so funny. Everyone wants to be an influencer. That's where all the workforce is. They're not working at Taco Bell. They're on Instagram. They're trying to make money and trying to be you know, big, big and, and known and stuff like that, right? It's amazing. I'll be scrolling through, and like one post, like a reel, that's funny, has 1.6 million views, like 3 million likes. I'm like, holy cow, this person's rolling in the dough just by putting out a funny video. But influencers, influencers. It's interesting how they call call that word influencer. You know, the the top people on Instagram? What their net worth is? Thirty million. Sorry, forty million dollars. Forty million dollars. Because they influence people, and people like their videos. People share their videos. People enjoy them and buy into what they're doing and what they're saying. That's what it means to have influence. People want to make money by being liked and followed. People influence each other every single day, even outside of social media. We all have people that we listen to. News sources or other social media forces or newspapers, friends, families, coworkers, me, (laughs) pastors. We listen to and are influenced by and allow others to influence our lives and our behaviors, our beliefs. Our lives are molded and shaped by these influences. Um, thought patterns and opinions, belief, beliefs, life directions, all the way down to the core of who we are, values themselves and our morals. And I would pray that this would be the greatest influencer of all, Jesus Christ, through his word and by the power of his Holy Spirit walking by his spirit, that God would be our ultimate influencer and that we would allow God to influence us through one another. There's so much power in the one another when it comes to that. That's why it says all over the place, you know, like I said, over 100 times it says one another. 23 of those are love one another. Others are bear with one another, serve one another, forgive one another. Basically showing one another God. That is what the one another in Scripture is all about. Influencing one another in order to bolster our faith, in order to encourage us, and in order to make us think. Sometimes it means disrupting us and jarring us out of our beliefs that may be wrong about certain areas in our lives. That's why it says to rebuke and correct one another, to show one another God. Where we might have some broken, stinking thinking going on. Some unloving dispositions towards people in this world, helping to cultivate a compassion in our hearts for one another and for others in the world. Reminding ourselves of the main overall overarching why of this life, to glorify God by enjoying him forever.
encouraging one another in the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, even through participating in communion. What does it say? Every time we do that, every time we do communion, like we're going to do at the end of our, our gathering, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's an encouragement. Remember. So he said, do it. It, says, it says on the table, in remembrance of me. In the Greek, that means as a memorial to me. Memorialize me. Memorialize my love. Memorialize who I am by remembering who we are and reminding each other of who Jesus is. Then, once we have these beliefs about reality itself set, you know, set in place, we form a worldview of reality itself and the lens through which we live our everyday lives. And so we take all these things from each other, from the world around us, from social media, from media, mass media, from friends, from families, from pastors, from podcasts, wherever you are receiving a sermon of what you should value in this life, we form a worldview and live that out. But here's the thing. We have to be very careful where this influence comes from. Very, very, very careful. I think sometimes we're not nearly careful enough of what we allow into our minds. And here's the thing. Sometimes it sounds awesome because they're using very strong language about God and Jesus and the Bible and church. But really, some of the worst opinions and worst biblical mandates come through the most religious people who use very strong language. That sounds like it should. Oh, yeah, that's, that's good. Oh, yeah. He's very, he stomps, he, he pounds that pulpit very powerfully. It must be right. But sometimes that is the most dangerous theology, most uncompassionate, unloving, ungodly advice comes from oftentimes the most stringent and firm preachers. I can say that because I followed them for many, 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 many years. Until God broke my heart and said, wow, I'm way off. I have that pharisaical spirit, which is what we're talking about here. Jesus is warning of that mentality, warning of those people who take the Bible too seriously. That sounds weird, huh? <laughs> right? <coughs> let me say what, what, what I'm, let me articulate what I mean by that. Is they, they take the scriptures and they make it say what it doesn't mean to say, and yet they say it says what it says. It says something that it doesn't actually say. That's super confusing, though. Let's get to the meat of this, what I'm talking about here. Let's look at the pa our passage here this morning. Our main point here this morning is this. God loves you, so respect him and stay faithful to Jesus. God loves you, so respect him and stay faithful to him. Jesus' message in all of this passage here, all of this scripture, is don't lose heart. Be followers with integrity. Don't shrink back. The life of a follower of Jesus is boldness. Boldness to live the worldview that God is, is giving. Boldness to live a life of love and compassion. Because remember, what, what, is, what, is, what does James say? That true and undefiled what? Religion, religious practice, our faith lived out is what? To visit widows in their 
trials and to take care of orphans and to keep keep oneself unstained by the world. What is the core of true religion? Compassion. Love. Kindness. Gentleness. Goodness. Hmm, I think I've heard that somewhere. True Christians have been persecuted for thousands and thousands of years. That's why God, Jesus' main topic, main, main point here is be bold. Be bold with what I'm teaching you to live out. Be confident in this. We are a cloud of witnesses of the hated and the despised. And why are we hated and despised? Because what, un- what is true and undefiled religion? Compassion. In a world that hates compassion. True compassion. In a world that hates true love and doesn't even understand it. True love. They understand infatuation. And a preference and a liking of each other. But love they have no concept of. True love. Because who is love? God. And if they don't know God, they don't know love. If we don't know God, we don't know how to love others. Truly. We, were hate, we have been hated and despised for thousands of years. By what? I mean, look at this passage. By the religious rulers, the Jewish leaders. And even, and even during and later as part of this time, for hundreds of years, the Roman Caesars. It actually became a capital offense. You could be killed for being a Christian. You could be killed for worshiping and even saying the name of Jesus in a way that was calling other people to believe in him. Nero would take Christians and impale them on spikes and put them out in his garden and light them on fire to light up his uh, parties outside for entertainment. Well, they're going to die. They might as well just utilize their body, their fuel. Because Nero hated Christians. Marcus Aurelius, which is unfortunate because I really love the movie Gladiator. Marcus Aurelius was one of the worst persecutors of the Christian church, not overtly like Nero, but what he did is he took away every single protection that Christians had as Roman citizens. Basically, if you're a Christian, you became what we know, would come to know later and here in America as outlaws. Now, if you know anything about outlaw, what outlaw meant is that you were simply not protected by any law whatsoever. You, all of your human rights were, not, were no longer recognized by the government of America. And so people could do whatever they wanted to you and not have any penalties for it. So they could kill you, they could murder you, they could torture you, they could do whatever they wanted to you, and they were free to do so. The Wild West was like the movie The Purge. That is what happened to our early brothers and sisters in Christ in the early first centuries of the church. But here's the thing, Jesus, in this passage, he knew all this. Jesus knows history before it ever happened. Jesus knew what this devotion that he is calling his disciples to would cost each and every one of his disciples. And not just the 12. Think about about that. The very first martyr of the church, the very first martyr of Christianity was who? Stephen, who was one of the 120. Or just simply the ones that were there that, that, that came to faith on the day of Pentecost. 
every single one of the disciples that were following Jesus at this time would die by martyrdom except for one, John. And he was boiled alive in oil and survived by Domitian. But every single one of the disciples would be executed, stabbed, beheaded, hung, crucified, upside down, tortured for the faith. Jesus knew this when he was saying, be on your guard against all this stuff. Stay faithful to me. Stay faithful to me. Don't fear those who can kill the body and after that can do nothing more. I will show you the one to fear. We'll get to that in a second. Let's look at this, this passage a bit more de- deeply. So let's go to the beginning. The crowds were coming together. They were, they were clamoring. They were the masses hoping to be dazzled and entertained by this traveling preacher and healer. They were curious, and yet they were compelled. Like, oh, I got to hear this guy. I got to see this guy. You know, I got to see that movie. We're, we're, we, ha- we do understand that feeling a little bit. I got to see this. I got to go experience this. I got to check this out. Like I always tell people, tell people about University Burger. Oh, you should totally check out University Burger. Shoot, even in line the other day at Roost, they were t- saying, maybe we should like, go somewhere else maybe. I was like, check out University Burger. You know. And they did. They went out and checked it out. I don't know who they were. But, <laughs> but you've got, you got to check it out. We're na- enamored and entertained as long as we enjoy it, as long as it fits our fancy. Desperate, some of these people, needy, desiring. There's so many different reasons why people came and were part of this crowd. But they were clamoring. There was chaos and craziness going on. But what happened here? Did Jesus say this to to the crowd? Jesus said this to his disciples. He crowds are here, he's like bloop. Disciples. He turned his back on the crowds and focused in on his disciples. He focused in on those who were following him. And he gave this analogy. He said, be on your guard against the leaven of the Pharisees. Let's look at some leaven here. This is used, of course, to to rise bread. So yeast today, right? You can buy little packets of it and put it in some water and it starts to foam and bubble and stuff. It's how we make our challah bread and and everything. It's how we, bread is made. Bread. (laughs) And think about this, you know, this is like a, it's a piece of leavened dough that would leavened would be added to another lump of like flour and, and mixture in order, you know, just one piece. Like kind of like a sourdough starter. You would put the sourdough starter piece into a loaf of, of premixed, you know, flour and things, right? And what would happen? It chemi- a chemical reaction would, would occur, would click. Chemical reaction that spreads and multiplies. And in the scripture passages, scripture, you know, leaven is often associated with sin and evil. How it can enter into something that's, that's without leaven and a little bit will cause a chain reaction and just leaven the whole thing and infiltrate every single part of that loaf. So there's no part of that loaf that was unleavened after that. And Jesus says the leaven of what? The Pharisees, and he explains it, which is hypocrisy. Now, this word is interesting. Hypocrisy is, you know, the, it's named after, the, of course, the hypocrites. So if you know what hypocrites are, have you ever seen, uh, I should have t- done a picture of this, but have you ever seen the, the symbol for the theater? It's the two masks. See the happy face and the sad face masks? So those were hypocrite masks. And 
the hypocrites were the actors in the Roman theater. They're these big, you know, uh, amphitheaters, right? And they and the actors would be out on the stage. But it's interesting; they wouldn't actually be saying anything. There was there were people behind stage, behind the the wall, that were speaking their lines for them, and they were acting out the emotion on the stage with a mask. And what they would do if they needed to change emotion, they would go and they grab the mask, take it off, and put a new one on to change the emotion so that the audience could see the emotion on the outside. So hypocrites were literally actors. People whose outside didn't match their inside. There's this, it has this connotation of this concealed or hidden intentions and, or agenda. There are motives, like hidden motives. Right? Um, even to themselves. But what is Jesus saying here? Is that you, He's saying... Your true motives, right, this whole next part, there's nothing that will be, that is covered, that won't be uncovered, hidden, that won't be made known. Therefore, whatever you said in the dark, blah, 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 right? He says all these things. He's saying your true intentions will be made no, known, whether good or bad. Whether you're faithful and, and devoted, love, or your doubt and your fear. Basically saying, like, hey, these Pharisees are going to try to, like, trap you. They're going to bring you in and say, hey, yeah, what do you really think about Jesus? I mean, it's just you and me now. What do you really think about him? And trying to egg you on, right? Like, oh, yeah, I mean, he's different. He's weird. I don't know. I don't really know about him. I don't know. Uh, In essence, trying to, like, keep a kind of relationship here as, like, pleasing another person. Right, that's what he's, that he's kind of addressing in this place, is that they're, they're going to pull you in to this thing. But your true intentions, your hidden motives, your your concealed intentions will be exposed. Your hypocrisy will be made known and displayed, i.e., Judas. Right. No, this this passage I've heard you know preached several times about like you know secret sin. Oh, your secret sin is going to be exposed. It's not necessarily what he's talking about here. He's not talking about you know pornography or gossip and all these like secret sins. He's talking about the the way in which humankind is, is so has such a propensity toward people pleasing. You know what people pleaser is? I'm a people pleaser. I'm a out of the closet people pleaser. It's, it's just, like there's, I have this desire, I want people to like me. I want people to be at peace with me, which is honestly one of my greatest struggles as a, as a minister, as a pastor. But this is not, this, this concept of, of, of secret sin is not specifically what this is talking about. It's talking about trying to gain mankind's approval. Whose approval are you talking about? Who are you trying to get? Talking about the true nature or absence of devotion and loyalty to following Jesus. Are you loyal to Jesus in public and in private? Do people know that you are a disciple of Jesus wherever you go? Or are you that neighbor that your neighbor doesn't even know that you're a believer? You've lived next to them for 10 years, and they would have, you know, if you, if you were to tell them today, they would say, oh, wow, I had no clue because we want to keep a cordial relationship, right? We value human interaction and connection. But Jesus is saying, do you value that more than devotion to me? 
The intention is the core of who you are. Think about this. Your, your faith, your devotion to Jesus, like what he's talking about here is being intentional. Like the, the very, I mean, think about it. Like if there's a way to like kind of wrap this whole thing in like the very core of who you are as a person. Body, mind, heart, soul, you as a person. The totality of your existence on this earth. And it has a, a pull, you know, like a, a handle that pulls it forward or that you drive forward in life. The way that you live your life intentionally. You make decisions and choose your will, if you will. Is your will held captive to devotion to Jesus Christ? Because Un- he's talking about here the leaven of unbelieving. He's skipping all the way forward to the very end of this, you know, kind of the bookend of this chapter. He's talking about, you know, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, he'll be forgiven. But the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. What he's saying here is not just is, is, is not just simply a casual thing that you can accidentally do. This is unbelief. Like this is a rejection and full rejection of Jesus, a full rejection of God. This is a devotion elsewhere to God. It's a turning away from God. It's the complete opposite of full devotion to the Lord. It's a complete 180 turn is blaspheming the Holy Spirit, is turning and cursing the Holy Spirit, is turning and cursing God through having the leaven of unbelief. Because the leaven of unbelief is a way of being, a way of living. This is an, being is unfettered, unmoored to anything eternal and trapped in the temporal and in the empty ways of thinking, the anxieties, the, the worries, being held captive to the fears of this world, being wrapped up into the ways of this world. Which is why John says in 1 John 2, do not love the world. Don't be devo- steadfastly devoted to this world or the things of the world. Because you know that the ones who do don't inherit the, good, the kingdom of God. Because they have rejected the plan of God for their lives. What is the leaven of your life? What is it that has consumed every part of you? What is it that, what, here's that word, influences you? That which causes a chain reaction to occur that defines your, your very life. Right now we're seeing a very, I wouldn't even, I would say go, even go, go beyond beyond frustrating, <laughs> just a very depressive trend among Christians these days. It's called the ex-evangelical movement. People who are leaving, they are now ex-Christians. They're leaving the church in droves, specifically because they don't like church. They don't, they don't see church and the gathering of God's people as valuable anymore because, I mean, so much religion wrapped up, false religion, overzealous fundamentalists, trying to be like the Pharisees, very strict and stringent so that they stay faithful to God, and yet they're miles off. And they're actually leading people away from a love for God and a love for one another by the way that they preach the Bible. It's a very dangerous way to preach the Bible. 
People are getting fed up with religion and are leaving the church in droves. We've seen, I mean, I've seen this in my own family. People who leave the faith because they were raised in a very, very fundamentalist mentality and they just get fed up with it. They're done with it because it's the way that they see God that has been so corrupted by legalism and, and religion, false religion, asceticism, to where it's not only ruined their, their lives and their faith and, and shipwrecked their faith, but it's ruined their families. Divorces, broken families, my family and friends, because they let influences into their lives that corrupted and leavened their entire life. I'm, just, I'm not saying like this, it's you know, these, this behavior here and there, it's going to ruin your life. I mean, there's very st- stupid, very strong things that we could do that would ruin and you know, completely you know, shipwreck your life. But I'm talking about the little things. Get you off a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. What are those influences in your life that you are allowing to maybe take you off and, and take you on a different trajectory than God would have for your life? a different trajectory outside of faithfulness and devotion to him. I hate watching people's lives fall apart. I hate it. It's so funny. This morning, I was, so my wife and I, usually in the mornings, we'll light candles around our table because we don't want to turn, flip on the super, stupid bright light in the morning around our kitchen table. And it's interesting how I've got, I've been burning three candles and they've all been, you know, pretty much the same all, all the way down. And they were all even this morning. And one of them sprung a leak. <laughs> it was just a little, there was a little bit of wind that kind of caught the fire and, and took it over to the edge, created a little hole and it just started to drain out and to leak out. And when that happens, it burns faster. And this one's gone now. I, I emptied it out because it was it was it went out, it died, and I still have a good, you know, good three inches on this one. If you get a spring, if you spring a leak in your life, you could you could spill out life, leaking out life. As I've seen in the, in these emails that I get from this guy, um, again an, an influencer. <laughs> talking about you know you know pornography and and affairs are it's like leaking energy that should be channeled into your marriage these different things that we that get us distracted we we are leaking energy somewhere where god is not blessing us god is saying put your energy here put your devotion here in your faith in the lord in your family in your marriages in your future and investing in your in your own lives and families. And Dave Ramsey talks about that. Your greatest asset is your own income. Your greatest moneymaker is your own income. So stop trying to throw off you know a bunch of money on credit cards and going into debt because you want to live like someone else. Let the Lord bless you. Let him fill you up. Stop springing leaks in your life. 
And it might look different. I mean, how's it look for your life? Where are the leaks that you have in your life that you're leaking energy that should be in, being invested into other things? Invested into things that bring life versus thing, things that steal life. Don't let the, the Pharisees spring a leak in your faith and drain your devotion is what Jesus is saying. I want to talk about this word fear for just a minute as we, as we, as we wrap up here a little bit. The word fear is this interesting word. You know, the, the beginning of wisdom, you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of, beginning of wisdom, right? In this passage here, you know, don't fear him who can, um, who just can kill the body and, you know, and everything, but fear him who has authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. Now, what is that, the word in, in the Greek is very interesting. So it doesn't mean specifically to, to be afraid and like, oh, like cowering, like, oh, no, right? It means awe and reverence, which we'll get to in a second. But here's, I want this to be the way that we frame this. There is no fear but in love. Steadfast devotion, agape, chesed, steadfast faithfulness. Instead, perfect love, agape, drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not complete in love. So this word fear means a better understanding of reverential obedience. This worship, this I care what you say. I'm devoted to you and I'm following you. You're my ultimate influencer. Who is your ultimate influencer? Who are you fearing? Who are you reverencing? Fear, recognize the Lord. This is what Jesus is saying. Recognize the Lord as the ultimate authority and judge and put his will and what he says above every thing and every one, rather than living to please and appease people. I was saying, don't worry about what they've got to say. Because even at the very end of this chapter, what does it say? You know, whenever they bring you before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For what? The Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. Stop being a people pleaser, Alan. Like, don't intentionally go to tick people off and drive them away. You know, go with the goodness of God and invite them along with you. It's not about you pleasing them or them pleasing you. It's about you pleasing God and getting them to please God. Always, especially in your marriages, always pointing each other toward Jesus. Not just trying to do things to keep the peace between you, but always saying, look to Jesus, love Jesus. And the closer you get to Jesus, the closer you get to your spouses the closer you get to your friends. Hopefully, the closer you get to your enemies and they become worshipers of God and lovers of God. That's why it's all about love and compassion and inviting. He's saying, don't fear mankind. Don't pull back from obeying me. Don't forget your first relationship, your first love. And what he, he gives an illustration. He says, why, why, do the, why is this? You know, look at this. He says sparrows are small birds. These small birds or sparrows were food for the poor and pets for the rich. They're sacrifices for the poor. He's saying God loves these little, these little birds that have like little to no human value. 
and he loves and cares a million times more for you. Look how he, he takes care of them. How much more you, he, does he love you? Stop worrying. Stop freaking out. Know and understand and remember. And I love this. I love this passage. He's saying all these things, you know, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, you know, fear the one, fear God. But it's this, what he's saying, he's, Jesus is reminding his disciples of their identity and the value, their value to God and his goodness as an invitation to devotion. He, th- this is not a divine or else. He's not saying, obey me or else. One, two. He's inviting them to goodness. He's inviting them to joy. He's inviting them to life to its fullest. It's this amazing invitation. Why? So that we don't have to fear others. We don't have to be people pleasers. We don't have to have fear of human disagreement or human disappointment. You know, growing and getting into disfavor from others and being oppressed by others. All these things must be outweighed by our loyalty and love and devotion to God. R.T. France says, Our final salvation depends on our willingness to acknowledge Jesus no matter the cost. And what does he say? Hell. Luke, this is the only time that Luke himself talks about this place, hell. Well, hell, so he uses this word Gehenna in the, in the, in the Greek language. And this, this Gehenna is the Valley of Ben-Hinnom, which is on the south side of Jerusalem, which was the trash dump, and where people who couldn't afford a grave, were, were, their bodies were thrown. Like the other two thieves on the cross were probably thrown there. And if Joseph of Arimathea hadn't gotten Jesus' body done off the cross, Jesus' own body would have been thrown there where the fire never goes out and the worm never sleeps. Heard that somewhere. It was also the place where they would do sac- human sacrifices to the Baals and to the Molech, to Satan himself, basically, to the pagan gods. And it's this euphemism for God's final destruction and judgment of the wicked. You know, it's so difficult to speak of hell um, to those who actively and passively choose hell over Jesus, destruction over life, with any kind of grace and compassion to the hearer. Because hell just is offensive by itself. That's why we, it doesn't need our help. We don't, we don't need to be offensive. The gospel already is. No one goes to hell by accident. It's done on purpose. People choose their allegiances, self and this world, or God. This is a separation from God. This isn't the, oh, yeah, hey, look forward to hell. It's going to be great. It's going to be nice and warm. It's not, it's not Costa Rica. Jesus is saying, who do you follow? Who do you follow? Who are you devoted to? Whose opinion do you care about? Who is your divine influencer? Who is your ultimate influencer? Who is the one that shapes your beliefs, shapes your opinions, shapes your worldview, shapes your, the way that you interact with the world emotionally 
and spiritually, logically. Who do you follow? Who do you prefer to know and think well of you? Well, Jesus has this example. He's like, the angels in heaven who are eternal or this world who's going to be destroyed? Who do you believe should be the ultimate influence in your life? The angels in heaven who are eternal or the world who will be destroyed? Whose opinion do you care about? And why do we fight to keep it? Jesus encourages us. I love this. He encourages us with his own identity, his power. He reminds us of the favor that we have with him and our ability to have incredible, incredible courage. He said, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves. Don't worry about these things. Stay faithful. Indeed, the hairs of your head are all counted. Don't be afraid. What? You are worth more. You are worth more. Everyone say, I am worth more. I am worth more. You are worth more than, thing, than anything that this world devalues or even values at its greatest. You are worth more. Why? Because the creator of this world and this universe said so. And he loves you. God loves you. God loves you. We stand up for Jesus when we live the way of Jesus. When we say, I'm not going to live my life according to their opinions and their preferences. I'm going to live my life the way that Jesus has said to, has shown me to. I'm going to step out in faith and walk by his spirit. Why? Because he is good and he loves me, and he says, I am worth his son dying on the cross and raising from the dead. I am worth it because he first loved me. Not because I'm worthy, not because I'm lovely, but because he said, I am lovely. He said, I am worth it. And I have no earthly idea why. That's why it's a heavenly understanding, not an earthly understanding. We don't fight against the culture. We stand in the culture. We stand. It was like, uh, last, last summer, um, we, uh, we lost someone <laughs> on the river, on the Madison River, uh, for a little bit. And <laughs> I won't say names. Uh, <laughs> but we were waiting. We, we were like, oh, we cannot leave her. We cannot. We are going to wait for her. And so Josh and I stood in the Madison River, all two feet of it, or maybe not even that, like maybe like a foot, maybe a foot and a half. It was so strong. You ever stood in the Madison River and held back like five rafts <laughs> with like 20 people on them? Okay, it wasn't that many people, <laughs> but maybe like 10 or 12 people. We held them back for about an, half an hour to 45 minutes to an hour or so while Steve went to go check and make sure that she was okay. But we were standing there in the current, and it, was, it took everything that it had in Josh and I to hold back those rafts. Just like a foot and a half of water. We don't, I, Josh and I weren't sitting there going, get back. 
like fighting the current, fighting the water, fighting the river, like, you stubborn spring, I'm breaking a blanket, blinking a blanket, blanket. We weren't fighting, we were standing and holding and holding the rafts, holding people, standing firm against the strong current. That is what we do in our faith. We don't fight the culture, we stand in the midst of the culture as a light to the world. You are the light to the nations. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Someone who's standing in the current of a river cannot be missed. Because why? God loves you. Respect him. Reverence him. Have, hold him in high reverence. Have the core of your life devoted to him. And stay faithful to Jesus. And I love this image. I'm going to close with this. Remember, all the way to the beginning, the crowds were here bustling and falling all over each other, trampling on each other, it says. And Jesus turns his back to his disciples. He's looking at his disciples. They're seeing the crowd. They're seeing the, the chaos. They're seeing the craziness. We're seeing the craziness of the world around, behind us. And Jesus says to them, look at me. Stay focused here. Don't worry about this. I got this. I got you. You get me. And we'll walk through this together. That's what Jesus is saying to us this morning. The chaos and craziness all around us in this world is going nuts and it's only getting worse. Jesus is saying, keep your eyes here. Focus box. Right here. Stay Locked in. Stay devoted here. Don't worry about this. Don't be anxious about this. This we'll get to more into next week. Rest here. Don't get caught up in those other things. Beware the leaven of the lips and the licentiousness and deception of the world. Stay right here. Walk with me. Stay focused. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Read, you know, be with me. Spend time in my presence. Don't lose heart. Be followers with integrity. Don't shrink back. Because remember, the life of a follower of Jesus is boldness, devotion, love, compassion, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Let that give us peace this morning. Let that give us confidence to live the devoted life of a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for your spirit that we can walk with you. We can walk with the God of the universe because you love us. You remind us that we are worth more than, than anything, God. So much so that you gave your life for us. You died on the cross and rose from the grave so that we would be able to spend eternity with you. Let us never forget the goodness of that sacrifice and the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit to live a fully bold and devoted, allegiant life of faith 
in Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.